scripture alone is our final source of authority. Final source of authority. I may learn many things from nature. I may learn many things from other books. We may have wonderful uh, traditions here like Sunday service or Sunday worship or prayer meeting. However, still, the scripture alone is our highest and final authority, meaning we do not put anything alongside scripture as the basis of our living and decision making. Scripture alone is the final authority. Let me share to you the five solas of the Reformation. Sola scriptura, which, is, which means scripture alone. Then there is sola gratia, which is grace alone. But take note, sola scriptura will not make sense if you have not experienced gratia. If you have not experienced the grace of God in your life, scripture does not make sense. For you, it's just another book, another book that's uh, of literature, a bestseller. But with sola gratia, with the grace of God, something happens to you. Scales from your eyes are removed, your spiritual eyes, and you see the beauty of God's word. And you, you can truly say that, indeed, the words of Christ, they are spirit and they are life. Sola gratia, by grace alone, meaning a person is not saved by anything else except the grace of God. We painted a verse on the second floor on your way up. It's hard to miss. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and it says there, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, not of works. It is the gift of God that no one should boast. It is not of works. Works is part of the Christian life. We have to do good works. We have to obey the word of God. That is work. However, works does not save us from the fires of hell. Works do not save us from the consequence of our sin. We are sinners. And one sin makes us guilty. One sin makes us liable to go to hell. Yes, a murderer will say, might say, I only committed one, one sin. Why put me to jail? Why give me a lifetime sentence? I only killed one person. Among, other than that, I did nothing. I did not murder. I did, not, oh, I, I did commit murder, but I did not steal. I did not covet, etc. No, that one offense brings you the sentence. So one sin brings us the sentence. Well, what would Christ, what would we need of Christ if, if we could save ourselves? If works was enough, if our good works were enough to save us and we did not need Christ. The Old Testament law was enough, but Christ had to come because we could not save ourselves. That is grace. How is a person saved? By grace, through faith. Then we go to the next sola, sola fide, faith alone. What is faith? Faith is not believing a set of dogma or religion. Faith is trust. Trusting in Christ. Trusting in the word of Christ. 
The words of Christ we trust. We entrust our lives to him. We believe him in every word he says. That is faith. For by grace you are saved through faith. Not by religion, not by any other group. You're not saved by being a member of a group. You're not saved if you are a member of GCF. GCF is just a name. In fact, if I can do away with the name, I'll do away with it. But we need it because the Security and Exchange Commission says we have to register when we collect money or own properties or vehicles. So we do it because we must. But what? But our relationship with God is not dependent on the name of a group. So if any religion say, if you become a member of our religion, you are saved, that is a lie from hell. For the Bible said, for by grace you are saved through faith. It is a personal thing. Next sola is solus Christus, Christ alone. There is no other name given under heaven that men should be saved. That is in Acts 4.12. No other name. No other name can even come close. If anybody puts anyone close there, whatever religion, whatever saint they call that person or persons, stay away from it. Because scripture says Christ alone. There is no other name under heaven. And Jesus himself said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Except through me. No one. So, solus Christus, Christ alone. And next, soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Everything we do, whatever we do, whether we eat, we drink, we work, we do all for the glory of God. No one shares in that glory. I may be thankful for many people, but I still give glory to God, not to them. Do I thank them? Of course I thank them with all, with all my heart. The person who shared the gospel to me, forever I will be thankful. For people who encouraged me, for people who helped me go through a healing process of my mind and emotion, I thank them, but I only give glory to God. And there were people who helped mentor me. I thank for God for their lives, but take note, I give glory to God alone. There may be people here that God may use to encourage you, to bring you closer to God. We may thank God for their lives, but we give glory to God alone because he does not share the glory. The glory belongs to him alone. Soli Deo Gloria. So if any man puts himself equal to Christ, who claims to be uh, the replacement of Christ on earth, who claims uh, that a man in their history is equal to Christ and his writings are also infallible. Do not believe them because it is for the glory of God alone. Anyone who get, gets attention to themselves rather than pointing people to God, stay away from them with regards to your faith because we only give glory to God alone. God alone. Amen? Somebody said to me, there's one more, Pastor Ed. It is solo papaya. They said, that's not included. 
so that you just don't forget there's an anchor, okay? The five solas is sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, soli Deo gloria. Scripture alone is our source of authority. In the second letter to Timothy, Paul reminds the young man of God of the centrality of Scripture. You'd find it all over. Since the start, he says, Timothy, God has taught you his word, I'm paraphrasing, through your mother uh, and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Since you were a child, you learned of the word of God. It dwelled richly within you. Then Paul, all over 2 Timothy, kept him centered, centered on the word of God. Then he encouraged him in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that God did not give you a spirit of fear and timidity. Timidity is shyness. God did not give you that. But rather, you were given a sound mind and you were given power, meaning confidence in God's word. We were not given a spirit of timidity. I felt like he was talking to a Filipino there because Filipinos are quite shy. Don't you agree that we are shy? Sometimes you have a uh, teacher says, anybody would like to add a comment? We're shy. Sometimes the Holy Spirit saying to you, share the gospel now. You're being led, but you say, no, I'm shy or I'm afraid. Are you shy in church? Maybe you are because nobody sits in front of me, in front of me right here. Everybody first sits at the back and then slowly it fills up going to the front. Uh, therefore, the latecomers come to the front. Oh boy, in the English service, please, when you join us in the English service, occupy the front because it disturbs me if the latecomers walk from the back going to the front. And sometimes I even know them. Hi. <laughs> You, God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity. We must, Timothy, speak out God's word. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul reminds Timothy that he should be a soldier of Christ. Can you say soldier of Christ? Again, soldier of Christ. And he reminds him a soldier does not live an ordinary life. Because a soldier works for the one who enlisted him, whether king, emperor, or government. The soldier submits to the commands of the government. So too, Timothy, be a soldier of Christ. You cannot live an ordinary life, not like everybody else, because we are different. And so I say to us, it's the same message. It has not changed. By giving ourselves to Christ, by surrendering to Him, by claiming to be saved by grace through faith, our lives are no longer ordinary, nor can it be ordinary. So if our lives are the same day to day, Monday to Saturday, working, just going to work and going home, going to work or going to school and going home, and going to school and going home, and doing certain activities, and you look no different from the people of the world. The work of Christ never enters your mind. The work of sharing the gospel never enters your mind. You never prioritize trying to meet somebody to share what happened to you by studying God's word. It's not there. Then you are living ordinary lives. We're supposed to be soldiers. 
Ten. I'm just kidding. Don't stand. Soldiers are taught to follow simple orders, so when they are given difficult orders, they follow. What are the simple orders? Left, 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 right, left. Harap sa kanan. No! Remember those days? Oh, terrible days. Under the sun. Left, left. Then they make you crawl with these World War Two guns, right? The Grand, so heavy. Oh man, can't I get an M4? <laughs> so heavy. Then your officer gets to your face and shouts at you, Pilabil! Your buckle is not shine! I almost wanted to say, Sir, your breath is not shine too! <laughs> Timothy, be a soldier. Step up. There's an issue in Ephesus. I need you. Okay. Timothy, there are false teachers there. They're teaching the wrong thing. They're saying the resurrection has happened. Deal with this. Step up. Be brave. Be bold. Deal with this problem. And come to me. Because Paul was arrested. This was the last letter of Paul alive. Well, he never wrote any letter after he died. But this was the last letter of Paul Recorded in the New Testament. So these are the words of a dying man, which means this is very important. The last uh, advice, kumbaga sa Tagalog, huling bilin. I can't say it's the last will and testament because he was still expecting Timothy to come. But he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to receive the sentence. And Paul was jailed several times because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He suffered for the gospel of Christ. And uh, Christ, when Christ also taught us in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are you if you are persecuted in his name. Some, some preachers have this problem. They teach and they preach, once you come to Christ, you shall be happy. They're preaching happiness. That all you need is Christ and your life will be happy. You know, I know the joy of the Lord is part of the fruit of the Spirit, but I also read that I'm going to suffer. They're presenting a gospel which is just on the positive side, not preaching the whole word of God. There were false teachers there. Timothy, deal with it because Paul couldn't deal with it. He was in prison. And all his friends, take note, not all maybe, but... Most of his friends who were with, with him shied away from him. They didn't want to go to jail, perhaps. They were afraid. So Paul was all alone. Oh, yes. Sometimes the very soldiers of Christ, some soldiers of Christ run away when it's difficult. They run away. Paul was alone. So Timothy, don't be afraid. Come to me. There were false teachers in Ephesus. So Timothy was to rise up to the occasion. Let's read verse 14. He said, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Avoid foolish debate. Avoid that. Wrangling with words. When I was much younger and less humble, 
I'd love to debate anybody. I have the Holy Scriptures. I know it from end to end. I just love to debate. I debate any cult I see. And I was the one hunting them down. Oh, I loved it. But the Lord corrected me that I was proud. That that sense of pride is not right. And that is useless. And here we will see Paul's admonition to Timothy of what he should do. It leads to the ruin of the hearers. Verse 15, but do this. Be diligent. In some translation it says, study. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. Be diligent or study. Study what? The scriptures. Present yourself approved to God as a workman that need not be ashamed. Take note. The real approval that matters is the approval of God. Don't you think so? Approval of man is nowhere near the approval of God. I can do away with the approval of men. So please, don't be so controlled by what others think of you or how they talk about you. If you do Christ's bidding and they persecute you and they gossip you, so be it. As long as we have the approval of God. But if you suffer, please suffer in the name of Christ. If you suffer because of your own follies, that's your fault, okay? Oh, uh, pastor, I'm suffering. I'm being persecuted at work. Why? What happened? I was just like three times and they persecute me already. I said, that's your fault. That's your fault. Don't say you're persecuted in the name of Christ. You're persecuted because you're doing the wrong thing. So there's a difference between suffering in his name and suffering because of our own faults. Please, make a clear distinction. Sometimes we feel so holy, right? I'm persecuted. Ah. Said, be approved. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, no shame. In what way are not we not ashamed? The last phrase, accurately. Accurately handling the word of truth. Timothy, study and be accurate with the word of truth. Be accurate. Can you say accurate? accurate. Say accurate. accurate. So that's why we study scripture. Because we want to be accurate with scripture. Last Monday, a brother shared to me, so how then shall we study God's word? I give you my tips right now. If you have a pen, please take note. I give you my tips right now on studying scripture. And this you can use as you read. Number one, look for the author's intention. These books were written by authors. Many authors. Paul wrote around half the New Testament. The author's intention is very important because that is the inspired word of God. There was a situation and God moved a man to write to address the situation. So he wrote. And as he wrote, he was addressing the problem. There was a recipient of the letter. He wrote to that situation and he sent that letter. The author's intention. And allow, based on the intention, find it. Because if you can't find it, then you cannot interpret. 
when you write a letter, we write letters, we write emails, we write messages on our Facebook or Twitter. When we write, we have an intention. Take note, you have an intention every time you write. What are you writing? I don't know, I'm just letting it flow, you know? I seldom see people that, uh, unless they're possessed and somebody's taking hold of their, their pen. There is an intention. We have to find the author's intention. Please do not put your own intention. The author had an intention. And we keep studying the Word of God based on what we think rather than what the author says. So how do we know the intention? Number two, look at the context of the passage. The context of the passage. Let, let's read the immediate context. Let, let's go. 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are, he, he gave names, Hymenaeus and Philetus. If you have sons, never name them these, okay? Uh, <laughs> men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. God knows if you belong to Him. God knows if you are saved by grace. And everyone who names the name of the Lord should abstain from wickedness. That's why if you call Him Lord, abstain from wickedness. If you consider Him your Lord, abstain from wickedness. It means to turn away. That's why repentance can never be separated from His Lordship or from our faith in Him. Look at the context. With this context, you already see that there was trouble. There was a problem. So in the middle of that, he says, remind them, be diligent, study, be accurate. For there are people like this, guys, Hymenaeus, Philetus. Look at the context. I can't just pull verse 15 and talk about it without looking at the context. Because I might make a mistake. If I lose the intention of the author, I will make the wrong interpretation. Therefore, we will have the wrong application. And wrong application will mean you're doing something that doesn't matter to God sometimes. Number one, look for the author's intention. Number two, context of the passage. Okay? Let this passage speak. It's called exegesis. A term used in, in seminary, exegesis. Let it out. Let the meaning out by studying carefully. Be like a historian. Studying carefully what they meant then. Once you get what they meant then, oh, this was what he means here to them. Then you go to the next step. How does that apply to me thousands of years after? Mm, because God's word is eternal. It is timeless. The principles then apply to now. What happened then, whatever situation it was, applies to us. Don't just read the surface. Oh, this is what God wants me to do. Sure. Be careful. The opposite of exegesis is I saw Jesus. So you won't forget it's I see Jesus. What I see, not what it should say. I'm trying to put, based on my own culture, my own background, my own upbringing, my own depression and happiness, I interpret it. No, don't do that. Because if you're so quick, you'll be in trouble. Like uh, my wife shared to me one time, they were talking about Martha and Mary. You remember Martha and Mary in the New Testament? Okay, well, look for it. 
It's in the Gospels, Martha and Mary, where, where uh, uh, Martha was so busy and Mary was just listening to Christ because Christ paid them a visit. And she just loved listening to Christ. And Martha is saying, Lord, she's not helping me here. I'm trying to fix everything here. Ah, Martha, Martha, you're occupied with so many things. But Mary chose the right thing. Well, I would say the same thing. I'm not Christ, but I would say, why are you so busy? Sit here with me and talk to me. I just visited you. But he was Christ. Words of life. Listen here. Oh, it's what happened. It's simply that Mary chose to listen to Christ. The other one kept busy. Uh, please don't take it beyond there. My wife said somebody thought that Martha was jealous of Mary. It's not written that she was jealous. Now, that person who thinks she's jealous is now putting her feelings there. Ah, because you're easily jealous, you think Martha is jealous, right? We're trying to put what we went through there. Don't do that. Try to erase who you are. Wow. Profound. Okay. I don't mean it literally, okay? Uh, don't commit amnesia or whatever. Don't lose your memory. I mean, what I'm saying is don't force what you think there. Let scripture speak, okay? Number three, read normally. First, read normally. You're looking at the context. You're looking for the author's intention, which you can find in the context. Read normally. You're listening to, listening to me normally, right? And wh whatever words I'm saying, you know if it's literal or it's, it's a metaphor. So if I say to you, I ran like a horse, is that a metaphor? I'm not a horse, right? So it must be a metaphor. You cannot say, oh, Pastor Ed has this ability to transform into a horse. But that's exactly how people read scripture. They put deeper meanings in every word. Just read normally. Read normally. Understand it as it is first. Before you put the deeper meaning in every word. Oh, Pastor Ed, I think there's a deeper meaning in the word he. I said, there's none. It's just as it is. He. You know, the apostles, the disciples. I love sharing this, this, uh, this situation that happened. Christ warned them, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Is that figurative or literal? Be careful of the leaven, the bread. It's a use for bread. Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Why, Lord, is it infected? Why, Lord, do they put uh, formalin in their pandesal? Uh, why, Lord? He was saying before, be careful. The context, if you be careful with following their, their example. Don't follow their example. Then the disciples said, See, he keeps saying leaven because you forgot the bread. I'm not kidding. It's in scripture. It's in scripture. So they're not, I don't know who it was, but some of them were not very bright. So please, please, in the name of the Lord, don't look down on yourself too much. God can use you. Because some of you might be saying, I'm not too bright. Can God use me? Of course. Remember the disciples, not all of them, but some of them. Read normally. Number four, scripture, all of scripture gives clarity to scripture. Yes, again, again, again. Scripture gives clarity to all of scripture. 
or all of Scripture gives clarity to Scripture. Uh, what, what, what do we mean? There are some parts of Scripture that may not be clear, but if you read the whole thing, it will be clear. But if you read an isolated stuff and bang your head on the wall because you can't understand that isolated verse, of course you can't because the more you read Scripture, the more clear the whole thing becomes. That's why we have to study Scripture. Even the Gospels. But Pastor Ed, sola scriptura, right? Yes, sola scriptura. Uh, but, but, but there are some conflicting statements, even in the Gospels. Ah, let me just explain again. The Bible is a spiritual book. The intent of the author, it's infallible. The intent of the author is infallible for our spiritual purposes. But the Bible has history, but it is not a history book. You understand? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bible has science, but it is not a scientific book. Oh, that's why. Okay, uh, so uh, Mark is quite different with one statement because Mark said uh, the rooster crowed twice before, after Peter denied the rooster crowed twice. Uh, the other three only once. Uh, what's, I think there's not a problem. The point is Peter denied, right? The intent of the authors were Peter denied. That's it. But what's the difference? Well, maybe I think the one who told Mark the story was near two roosters. And the other one was on the other side. It's like this. Five blind men. Five blind men were asked, can you describe the animal in front of you? So they approached. One said, it is like a wall. The other one said, no, you are wrong. It is a snake. The other one said, you are both wrong. It is a tree. Then said, ah, no, it is like a, a large fan. Then the other one said, oh, it is like kikyam. Who was right? They were all right. Correct? They were all correct. But once you put them all together, that's the real picture. That's why all scripture, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture, that's why we say to you, read the Bible. All of it. Not just parts of it, all of it. Uh, Next month is Holy Week, and we have a simple tradition here. We read through Scripture in Holy Week. Uh, two years ago, from Sunday, or I think Monday to Saturday, people came here to read the whole Old and New Testament. Amazing. Some of them brought pillows with them. They would go home at 1 a.m., some even 2 a.m., they would put their sleeping bags at the back because, uh, oh, I, I know that book already. I'll sleep first. The next book, they wake up and go back. And we just take turns in reading. Last year, it was the New Testament. This year, it will be uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, a few days. It's just straight. If you haven't finished the Bible, maybe there's a good time to gain a lot of ground. 
in reading scripture. Now, if you will volunteer to read, anybody can volunteer to read, please speed it up. Because we were, two years ago, we were reading the whole Bible, and somebody went there and took it really nice and slow. And everybody said, faster, faster, we have to finish the whole Bible. No, no, but it's so nice. We're not here to meditate. We're here just to finish the Bible, okay? <laughs> meditate on your own. Anyway, we had fun reading. Then, okay, first is author's intention. Number two, context of the passage. Number three, read normally. Number four, all of Scripture gives clarity to segments of Scripture. All of Scripture will give clarity to those Scriptures. Uh, and number five, please... Please, do not jump to application. Interpretation first before application. Don't jump at once. This is the application. You will be mistaken. Be careful. First, interpret. Know the author's intent. And then you ask, oh, this is the meaning then. Thousands of years ago, this was the meaning. So how does it apply to me now? How does it apply to me as a student? How does it apply to me as a son or father or husband? How does it apply to me as a businessman? How does it apply to me as, the, as a citizen of the Philippines? How does it apply to me? Then this is important. Number six, genre. Number five is interpretation before application. Okay, and interpretation is not application, and application is not interpretation. Number six is genre. What's genre? What is the book about? Okay, let me run you through the Old and New Testament. It begins with the Torah or Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, combined with law and history. Are you listening? All right, can I hear an amen? I'm listening. Okay. No, no, you have to say, I'm listening. Okay. First was the Torah, first five books. Then you get the history books. Then you see Samuel, uh, Kings, Chronicles, uh, Nehemiah. These are, uh, hi this is history. And they're, they're the books of wisdom, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Job, uh, Songs of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. That's, those are the wisdom books. Then the major prophets and the minor prophets. And take note. Because of the genre, you have to be careful how you interpret and how you apply. For example, the laws of Moses, the law of Moses, which is, not, which is more than the Ten Commandments. Take note, you are not a Jew. Are you a Jew? Maybe you are. If you are, a lot of the things there apply to you. If you're not a Jew, if you are a Gentile Christian, praise the Lord. Okay? There are three types of law. Number one, there's the moral law that applies to us. You shall only worship one God. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or things, etc. The, the, the moral law applies to us. The civil law, their civil law no longer applies to us. We have our own civil law. How, how, if one stole a sheep from the other, how do they deal with it? They have a law for that. And you'll find it in the first five books. You'll find it in Leviticus. And then there's a ceremonial law, which does not apply to us. The moral law does. So whenever you study these parts of the Old Testament, don't think of applying them. You will fail. It's very difficult. Let me give you an example of ceremonial law. 
which I believe most of us disobeyed, that the child, the male child, must be circumcised on the eighth day. So men, when were you circumcised? Why, eight years old? Ten? Thirteen? Oh, come on, twenty-five? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you passed the eighth day. You see, if that applies to you, poor you, you're such a sinner, man. And that's just one ceremonial law. Not to mention the doves, uh, uh, the sheep that must be sacrificed. Oh, boy. And if you have a certain skin problem, you have to live outside the camp because you, your disease might spread. You stay outside the camp for, for a week or more, depending on, on what you have. And you have to be, uh, the high priest must put oil on you. So much ceremony. That does not apply to you. Okay? Are we there? Now, history is history. We can learn something about God there. It reveals God. But not everything that the men of God did were correct. And we were allowed to see their mistakes. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied to protect his own skin. They're not perfect. David committed adultery. So you, you don't say, hey, hey, hey. Solomon had 400 wives and 700 concubines. Why can't I have two? Take note, that's history. That's a narrative. And if you study further, it didn't do him good. In the last part of his life, these many wives drew him to idols. And I just hope he repented in time. I just hope so. But you know, practically, I don't get it. I mean, trying to please one wife is already so difficult. You have to please two. It just doesn't make sense. You know, for a woman, if you're nine out of ten, she's still problematic. Oh, nine things you do so well, but the one-tenth, oh, he's not like this. So I tell you, just one is already challenging. Oh, my that's why, ladies, as well, let me give you advice. If he is not a man of God, he does not have the grace of God to lead you. You shall be disappointed there. And you shall regret it for the rest of your life. Daily saying, why did I marry this man? I hope that scared you enough. Uh, <laughs> wisdom is wisdom. I love the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs, but it's wisdom, not law. It's not law. Don't treat it as law. But it's wisdom. We can apply it. We can see cause and effect there. If you do this, you will, this will happen. If you fear the Lord, this will happen. You can see a lot of cause and effect, and wow, it is, it is so accurate. Just study it and observe the lives around you. It is so accurate. Cause and effect. Wisdom. What should you do on earth? But it is not law. Thank God it's not law. Let me give you my, one of my favorite verses is, uh, A good man will leave an inheritance to children's children. Oh my, good thing that is not law. When my first baby was born, that verse hit me. Children's children, inheritance. Oh my. Wisdom encourages me to work hard. That's what wisdom tells me. But praise God, if you became a believer in an advanced age, 
Praise God, it's not law. Amen? Because I'm too old. I just found out about this. How can I catch up? Don't worry. Don't worry. Just don't retire. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Retirement was invented by, by this very influential country, which is not always a good example to us. They invented retirement. And what? The pension plan. It's a crazy idea. You know, that's why there's so many people with Alzheimer's in the U.S., right? Why? Because they learned to retire and not do anything. And we are following their example. Now, of course, when you retire to get your pension, get it. But don't stop working. You see, in the Hebrew language, there is no word for retirement. Oh, yes. Yes. Keep solving problems. Why? The moment you stop solving problems, your sharpness, you will lose the sharpness here. So I dare say to you, thank God for your problems. Amen? It will keep you wise and intelligent. It will sharpen your thinking. But worry is not part of it. Because God said, do not worry. The, Jesus said, do not worry. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Paul said in Philippians 4, do not be anxious for anything. Just pray. Solve it. Be sharp at it. But don't worry. Solve it. This is the problem. What's the consequence? One, two, three. Possible consequence. How bad is it? Not too bad. But they wanted to reach it. No. So what can I do now? One, two, three. Okay, I'll begin working on it. Get to get working. Get praying. But solve these problems. When God gives you problems, what do you do? You say, thank you, Lord. Another jigsaw puzzle, huh? Do you like problems? You like problems? Uh, I don't. I don't. Uh. <laughs> But I accept the challenge because sometimes God would give you problems. You know, that's part of being a Christian. That's why I say to you, God did not save you so that you can be happily ever after. That only happens in fairy tales. They live happily ever after. Ask every married couple and they're going to say to you, <laughs> happily ever after. No, it's the beginning of respon more responsibilities. That's what marriage is. Marriage is a partnership for responsibility. Some people think marriage is about being romantic every day of your life. <laughs> and then you get it from where? Hollywood, uh, Korean telenovelas, uh, where else? Oh, no, but your marriage can be harmonious, but you will have problems, and you will have to be sharp. Your mind will be sharpened. Not only your mind, take note, your emotions will be sharpened. You, you see a person who went through a lot of battles in their life. When you meet some of them, some of them have learned. Some of them feel less. They learn to command the emotion to be happy and to love. But to be offended, they have mastered that. I will not be easily offended. To be sad, they have mastered that. Why should I be sad? Why waste my sorrows? To be angry, why be angry? I might just die by being angry. If I die, I want to be happy. I'd rather eat lechon. No, don't do that. <laughs> Okay, uh, that's, 
There's wisdom, the wisdom books. It's wisdom, not necessary law. Then there's the major prophets and the minor prophets. Take note, they are arranged by categories, not chronologically. So you're going to say, oh, minor prophet Haggai has a connection with the narrative Ezra. Why are they so far from each other? It's not chronological. Okay? Then the New Testament, you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, the history of the church, then the Pauline epistles. Oh, a lot of them. Paul's writings. Then the general epistles, and then apocalyptic writing, meaning symbolic writing, the book of Revelations. Please don't think the book of Revelation, one, don't think it's so hard. Number two, it's so mystical. And number three, it's so scary. It's a style of writing. And then the dragon came out. It is symbolic writing. Okay? And the dragon arose. Today we use a lot of symbols. The next tiger of Asia. The sleeping giant of Asia. That's not us. We use these symbols. It's so scary, Pastor. You know, 666. It's happening. They're putting stuff in their hands. Microchips. <gasps> oh, wow. Sure. You know, 666 is a name of Nero. It already happened. The warning. Now it gives you a new perspective when you understand the text and the context. Is he still coming? Of course he is. So please, don't be so scared. Pastor, somebody said Jesus will come in September. I said, I've heard that a thousand times. When will you ever learn in Matthew 24? It says, nobody knows the time. Only the Father knows. If somebody points to you, the season is now. He's coming. I think if he comes, I'm happy. If you're so afraid, he's coming. Then you're not living your, right, your life right, right? He's so coming, I'm so afraid. By grace, you are saved through faith. <sighs> a, a few more pointers. In the book of Acts, it's a narrative. Take note, a narrative is a story. Not everything they do is correct, but we can learn from it. But the epistle is so direct. It's direct. Paul was, and, and the other apostles were talking to the churches, and it was direct command and advice. It's simple. Like in, the, in Acts chapter 15, uh, these Jewish apostles were learning that the gospel is also for the Gentile. Huh, so there was a debate. What are we going to tell them? So James said... Okay, okay. Just tell them not to eat blood. So, Acts 15, Pastor, we should not eat blood. So, I say to you and I ask you, is it a sin to eat dinuguan? Because in the Pauline epistles, it says we can eat anything. Maybe except humans, all right? Okay. Uh, but we can eat anything if we thank God for it. But in the book of Acts, they were still transitioning. But this is my belief. 
You cannot eat dinuguan, bawal ang dinuguan, pag walang puto. Okay? Because <laughs> it's, it's good to dip that, you know? Uh, dipping it just mix so well in your mouth. <laughs> but if you say, but pastor, it's unhealthy. Yes, so that's not about sin. That's now about your health. Because the Old Testament, God gave them very good health laws. But for them, it's also a sin to violate that. These are health laws in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is a good place to know what to eat and what to not to eat for health purpose. Because we are Gentile believers. We are not Jewish. We're not under that. We do not follow that. But it's good to learn that. Some Christians actually follow that. The Old Testament, they cannot eat pork. They do not eat pork. And they do not eat the crawling stuff. What's the crawling stuff? Uh, uh, crabs and shrimps and uh, uh, the eels. They only eat uh, fish with scale and fins. Okay? Um, but for us, that's not sin. So be careful how you treat it. Now, when it comes to the parables, another point. I'll just take some of your time. Uh, parables. Careful with parables. You see, parables come out as an emphasis. Because these Pharisees keep asking Jesus trick questions. Why are you with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes? Trying to pin him down. Then Jesus answered with three parables. The parable of the lost sheep. I said, the shepherd has 99. He lost one. What does he do? Uh, he leaves the 99 that are well kept and looks for the one. Uh, and then this woman lost the coin. Uh, well, he, he's, her other coins are in place, so she looks for that missing coin. Uh, and this father had two sons. One became a prodigal son, and he waited and waited and waited until his son arrived, and he went and embraced his son. And celebrated. And so Jesus says, there was only one point with three parables. Please do not add meaning. Please do not add meaning about gold coins. Please buy gold coins from me. It is biblical. Don't take it that way, okay? Don't separate it from its context. The context only says that I came for the lost. Jesus was saying, that's why I'm with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners because I came for them, not for you religious hypocrites. But take note, the parables meant only one point. It's just like me when I share to you, when you share to someone, okay, okay, for example, okay, for example meanings you want to drive usually one point, correct? So when you look at parables, don't put so much meaning. Oh, there must be a spiritual meaning to sheep. There must be spiritual meaning to, to a calf. There must be, oh, this is what? The genre. Number seven, please be careful to distinguish the Old Testament and the New Testament and distinguish the church and Israel. No, we are not Israel. Pastor, aren't we the spiritual Israel? We are the people of God. We are the church. And Israel is Israel. God has a covenant with them, and that's it. Do we pray for them? Of course we do. Do we respect them? Of course we do. Do we share the gospel to them? Of course we do. That's what Paul was trying to do. 
That's what Peter was trying to do. To take them from Judaism to the fulfillment in Christ. So going back to verse 15. To be diligent also means to pour your heart into it. Let us pour ourselves into the study and practice of Scripture. For this gives us approval from God. We must pour ourselves into it. So I encourage you, when you come here, listen to God's Word. But when you go home, read it chapter by chapter by chapter until you finish the whole thing. If there are things you don't understand, skip it. Just mark it. I read it, but I don't understand. Just mark it. Then move. Then move. And sometimes as you go on, oh, this answers this. Because all Scripture will make the pieces of Scripture more clear. Study. Learn. If you're having a hard time, start with five minutes a day. Just five minutes a day. When you wake up or before you sleep. Better when you wake up. Because before you sleep, you might sleep. <laughs> because you're so tired. But then we have to persuade others to be faithful to God's word and to abstain from wickedness. Studying scripture is a lifetime endeavor. But you know the beautiful thing of having a community here like us? We do it together. It's a study of scripture together. So this year we will introduce more of how to study God's word. Uh, on our small groups, we discuss how we apply God's word. And we learn from one another. We all thank God for what he has done for us. We pray for one another. And those, that, that's important for the small groups. So we encourage you to join our small groups. If you don't have a small group or you want to be part of one, just, just go to the second floor. Tell Abby there and say, mention your name and your address. And we'll try to find what, what, what is suitable for you in terms of time and schedule. We'll invite you there. If not, just come. And on, on Friday evening, there's a young professional group. Well, young adults group who gather here. Just join. Learning scripture together is fun. Talking about life and our endeavors. It's also good that we share that to each other because that's how we can help one another as well. By praying for one another or maybe even creating strategic alliances. It's a journey. It's a journey and it's a long journey. But woe are you if you mishandle the word of God. That's why we cannot easily connect verses to one another. Not all verses can just easily connect. Why? It's the Torah. The Torah can be connected to Hebrews, sometimes Romans, but not to everything else. Songs of Solomon just doesn't connect easily with everything else. We are careful to connect these things. Why? Because the cults, do you know how they teach you? They get one verse, second verse, third verse, four verses, five verses. I have a lesson right now. From everywhere. Not proper and dangerous. However, that is so common. So common. Why do you have to look for five points or three points from all over? That context is rich enough if you just understood it. It is so rich. The Bible is so rich in meaning for our spiritual lives. So, friends, let us be approved before God, a workman that need not be ashamed, accurately, accurately handling the word of truth. Let us all rise. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your word. And uh, 
Thank you for reminding us to study, to be diligent, that we may be approved before God. A workman that need not be ashamed accurately. The desire to be accurate. The desire to seek your meaning. What your word says. What it meant thousands of years ago in their culture, in their language, in their background. And what does it mean to us now and here in our setting. Give us wisdom, Lord, as we study. And give us encouragement. A joy to study the Holy Scriptures. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Let's give God a clap offering. Amen.